0: You know, there are certain moments in history, aren't there, where everything changes and you kind of know it when they happen and they're etched on your memory. I remember what I was doing when, X, Y, Z. In fact, on the weekend away, that happened quite recently. Saturday evening, we were rounding our chalet, a whole bunch of people, talking about where were we when. So we talked about 9-11. I was digging up someone's garden with my uncle when 9-11 happened. Don't ask. Um, Someone thought that the most memorable thing that should etch in our heads was when Michael Jackson died. Does anyone know where they were when Michael Jackson died? well, one or two. Um, A lot of us didn't remember... That one depending on where you, you grew up, depending on when you grew up, maybe it's different moments. Maybe it's the moon landed, maybe it's when the Berlin Wall came down. Maybe it was when there was that announcement that a, a vaccine for COVID-19 had been developed. Maybe it was when Will Smith punched Chris Rock at the Oscars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> different moments lodge in our brains. None greater than the resurrection of Jesus for a moment that changed everything. I wonder if you remember where you were when you first realized, oh my goodness, Jesus rose from the dead. Do you remember where you were? Do you remember when that first entered your consciousness? Because if ever there was a truth to change everything, it's this one. Debbie McDaniel said, throughout the history of all mankind, there has never been a more powerful event than the resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He did what no other man or religion could ever do. He conquered death and he still lives today. Amen. Amen. So what we do is we talk about the resurrection. I, I want it to hit you fresh this morning. I want it to hit you like it's never hit you before. And often to get that to happen for us, it's good to look at it through someone else's eyes, to go on the journey with someone else to that resurrection moment and see how it hit them so that it might hit us through. And we're going to do that through the character Peter who was one of the disciples of Jesus. We're going to look at the resurrection through Peter's eyes this morning. Now. Peter's one of the characters, if you've ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, he's one of the ones who's probably stood out to you. You've probably taken notice of him. He's sometimes called Simon. He's sometimes called Peter. That's talking about the same bloke when the two names come up. And the reason he jumps out is that he's that one. There's one of these in every group of friends who's quick to put himself forward, who loves to volunteer. Were you ever at school and the teacher would always like ask a question and everyone else is like awkwardly sitting there just like, no, I'm not going to give you anything. Someone, they put that out of you, I'll have a go. Even if they don't know it, they'll throw something out there. I asked you for a volunteer this morning to come and help me with something. I know a lot of you would just be kind of trying to avoid my gaze. One or two of you, I know, would be like, me, I'll do it. That was Simon Peter. And when you're that kind of person, two things happen. Firstly, you get to have some incredible Experiences that no one else gets to have. When Jesus walked on water, Simon Peter, he was the one who got out of the boat and walked to him. He didn't stop to think, hang on, I might drown. He went for it. And so he got to have an experience no one else had. But there's a flip side because when you're the one who just goes and does the thing without thinking, it also means you put your foot in it a lot. You blunder, you do stuff that's just utterly stupid that no one else would do. So one time, right, Jesus said, hey, who's everybody saying I am? What's the word on the street about me? And there are all kinds of different answers. You're you're a prophet, you're a teacher, maybe you're Elijah, come back. And then Jesus said, who do you say I am? And the, the one who volunteered, it was Simon Peter, I've got an answer. You're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, wow, that revelation, that's from God. It's like God has shown you something that none of the others have seen yet. That's amazing. And then he gave him that new name, Peter, which literally means the rock. You are rocky. I'm going to build my church on you, Peter, because of this. Then about 10 minutes later, Jesus says, right, let me just share with you the plan. What's going to happen next is we're going to go down to Jerusalem and we're going to suffer and I'm going to die, and then on the third day, I'll rise again. And Simon Peter, in typical Simon Peter style, jumps forward. He's like, no, 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 no. That can't be right. Surely you've not thought this through. Surely the plan's got to be different from that. And then Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You see what I mean? He gets some incredible moments, and he does some incredibly stupid stuff. Well the most stupid thing that Simon Peter ever did was on the Thursday night of the Easter week. So they just had the last supper where Jesus had taken the bread and broken it and taken the wine and talked about all the meaning on what he was going to do. Then they all sang a hymn together and they've set off on the way to the Mount of Olives. Now basically when I say Mount of Olives, think Jesus's prayer place this was the place he'd often go late at night to pray and he's taking his friends with him and the idea is they're going to pray together and you can imagine this group walking up this hill and then Jesus and Simon Peter they just drop back a little bit from the group you know sometimes when you meet up with someone you have a lot of time together But There's a conversation you want to have with them. There's something a bit serious you want to get into. And you find the moment to say it. It's like they've dropped back from the group. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, look, Satan's asking to sift you as we... He says there'll be a spiritual attack on you. He's trying to warn Simon Peter that dark days are coming. And here's what Peter said. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He just brushes it off. He won't hear this warning that Jesus is trying to give him. He won't take it seriously. In fact, when they get to uh, the top of the Mount of Olives and they're going to pray, he falls asleep despite this warning that Jesus has given him. And Jesus said to him in response, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. A bit later that evening, Jesus is arrested. They're take, He's taken to the high priest. I'm going to read a bit from Luke chapter 22. So they seized him, that's Jesus. They led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. So he doesn't want to draw attention to himself, Doesn't really have the heart to go home. So he follows a bit behind. Think like Lord of the Rings, Gollum is like well behind Frodo and Sam, but kind of trying to track the journey. That's what Simon Peter's doing as they're bringing Jesus to the high priest's house. And then Jesus was taken into the house. When they'd kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. So this would be some of the security people, some of the people who worked in the high priest's house. They've lit this fire in the courtyard and Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. And he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And then the story goes on, and it tells two more times where basically exactly the same thing happened, where he says, I don't know him, never heard of him, he's not my mate. Wow. Now, just think about for a moment, because let's have a little bit of sympathy. Think about the pressure of the week. So, on the Sunday, they, they'd come into Jerusalem. They'd been hailed by the crowds. It had been this big triumphant moment. And then every day, new stuff was happening. There was opposition from the Pharisees. There was has mate Lazarus being raised from the dead. They went into the temple and Jesus trashed the place. There was lots of conversation. There was lots of trying to figure out what is happening. And then they'd had the meal together. Jesus had got a bit weird in the conversation. Jesus had then given him this warning about spiritual attack. Their mate Judas had just betrayed him and now Jesus is arrested. Do you ever have a day where you're like, there's just too much stuff coming at me. I don't know what to do with it. I can't process what's going on. I just need to sit and have a think. If ever you're in that mode and someone tries talking to you, what do you do? Because when I'm in that mode and someone tries talking to me, the basic calculation in my head is, what can I say that will make them stop talking and give me a bit of peace and quiet I just go away I can't deal with more right now I need to get my head around everything that's happening maybe something like that was going on for Peter but it led him to say the worst thing he ever said in his life worse than the thing that made Jesus go get behind you Satan because at that moment in time it was just are you sure this is a good idea Now he said, I don't even know Jesus. I disown the guy. It's the worst thing he's ever said. After his cocky insistence that he would remain true, even unto death, all it took was the threat of looking bad to this young serving woman by the fire for him to just betray the Lord that he said he loved. And then what happened next It's absolutely haunting. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that look? Imagine what's in it. Imagine what's communicated as the Lord turns. Is he looking through a window, through the doorway of the high priest? I'm not sure. I don't think it's a look of condemnation. That's not Jesus' style. A look of love, a look of knowing, Perhaps, I bet you anything, Peter couldn't meet his eyes. Bet you anything after that, and then seeing Jesus look at him, it's that awkward. Oh my goodness. You know that moment when you've messed up and you know you've messed up and it's hit you and you're busted? I was going to tell you this, right, but when I was at university, quite a lot less sanctified than I am now, went for a night out with some friends, and I've got no idea what happened on that night. Uh Uh, But I I, I do remember the next morning waking up, and in my room there was a souvenir that I'd brought home. Uh, There was a for sale sign uh, from William H. Brown Estate Agents. And... (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) And later that day, our phone rings. This was like when everyone had landlines. Uh, And no one got to it, but they left a message on the answer phone saying, yeah, uh, we're calling from William H. Brown, estate agents. Um, We'll call back later. And that moment was like, oh, my goodness, I'm in trouble now. I'm busted. I've done this thing wrong. And then here's what Peter did, verse 62. He went out and he wept bitterly I absolutely love Peter Peter is one of my favorite characters in the Bible and it's verses like this that are why you know we're living in a day aren't we when a lot of sin is getting exposed where a lot of the stuff that's going on in the darkness is being brought to light but you know there's a big difference between someone being caught doing wrong and squirming and trying to avoid it and it's like they're only really bothered because they've been exposed and someone who's absolutely cut to the heart that they've betrayed the Lord they love. That's the difference between a hypocrite and a (coughs) disciple of Jesus. None of us are perfect, but here is Peter. He realises he's messed up, and he's absolutely broken by it. That shows that Peter is the real deal. Owen Feltham was an old Puritan preacher. He said this, all men will be Peter's in their bragging tongue. Most men will be Peters in their base denial, but few men will be Peters in their quick repentance. Let me just say this, right? The Holy Spirit's laying something on you right now. If you're feeling a conviction, if, if you've got your own Peter moment and you know you've messed up and blown it, don't hide it. Don't try and deal with it yourself and bury it and assume it'll be all right come to Jesus and tears are okay if there's stuff you want to bring to the light if there's stuff you need to share with someone if there's stuff you need to deal with please do get one of us to pray with you this morning do what the Holy Spirit is convicting you to do let's talk for a minute about Peter and the cross when Jesus is getting crucified he isn't there You get during the accounts of the crucifixion, all these different stories about what's going on, the conversations between Jesus and the people crucified near him, the the conversations between Jesus and the people who've gathered to watch. There's one where uh, Jesus turns to one of his friends, John, and says, John, do me a favour, take care of my mum for me. And then he turns to Mary and says, Mary, treat John like your son. I wonder... Would that have been Peter's moment if he'd have been there? Or would there have been a moment for him at the foot of the cross? But he's gone because he's blown it. And at that most crucial moment, he's let Jesus down. And so he can't even face going to see his friend being crucified. Imagine what Friday was like for Peter. So late into the night on Thursday, he's probably sleep deprived. His conscience is absolutely blazing with this conviction of I've completely messed up. Do you think he just went home and went to bed after this? Do you think he got a good night's kip? I don't. I think his mind is absolutely racing. His heart's bleeding. I bet he cried most of the day. I bet he didn't want to engage with anybody. Just leave me alone. I'm on my own. I've completely messed everything up. Maybe by late on Friday, he got an hour or two. Imagine his Saturday, just tearing his hair out at what he's done. Sunday morning comes along, it's dawn and some of the women in the group go to treat the body. I don't know if you know this, but bodies start to stink after a bit, particularly in a hot country. Some of the women go and do something about it. When they come back, right, they've got this story to tell and uh, they're telling this story of, look, we went there, but you know the tomb it was sealed but it wasn't it was it was open the stone had gone and we couldn't find his body there and there was this bloke there maybe he was the gardener or uh, perhaps he was an angel and he was saying no no he's not here look somewhere else for him We, we think he's back we think he's risen from the dead imagine you were one of the people who hadn't gone and you've got these people coming back telling you this story how would you react to it Remember the circumstances. Remember how intense that week had been. Remember how highly strung everyone was. Remember the amount of tears and grief that was shed on that Friday. Imagine the lack of sleep. Imagine the distraught, grieving mother. You'd probably think, yeah, I'm not sure about this. You'd probably think it's nice. It's trying to latch onto some hope. It's trying to not accept the reality of what's happened and that is what the disciples thought it says in Luke 24 now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who told these things to the apostles but these words seemed to them like an idle tale they didn't believe it but Peter rose and ran to the tomb I flipping love Peter. All his brokenness, all his tears, all his denials of Jesus, even doing the worst thing he'd ever done. Didn't extinguish this beautiful, impulsive, stick your neck out sparking Peter. And while everyone else is busy fobbing off the women's story, this broken, weary man starts running as fast as he can to the tomb. Because maybe... Just maybe, just maybe, there's a chance. Maybe, just maybe, some of the stuff that Jesus said, he actually meant. Maybe when he said, if you tear this temple down, I'll build it up again in three days. Maybe that wasn't just a a metaphor for a spiritual reality. Maybe it was true that he was saying something about himself. Maybe when he said, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die and rise again. And then when he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me Satan for denying it, maybe that's because what he was saying was true. Maybe those denials, maybe that look that Jesus gave him were not going to be the last thing that Peter experienced of Jesus. Frederick Buchner said resurrection means that the worst thing It's never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. So if you think about the worst thing you've ever done, the worst thing you've ever been through, the resurrection of Jesus says that's not the final word. So he gets there. He gets to this empty tube. He sees the linen cloths where the body was meant to be. We're told in John's gospel, he saw the one that was meant to be on the face, folded up and put in a different place. And he goes home marveling it's like his mind's caught this possibility. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you're pretty broken, you're pretty desperate, everything seems bleak and you get just a glimpse of a maybe that all is going to be fine and you can't quite be sure yet but there's hope and that's where Peter is. And then we're told in a couple of little verses, let me read, so Luke 24 is talking about the disciples who Jesus had met with on the road to Emmaus. They come back to Jerusalem and they have a little conversation with the 11. It says, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's talking about the resurrection it says he was buried he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas that's a greek form of the name peter and to the 12 i want to know about this meeting i want to know where it was i want to know when it was was it when he was on the way home when he was marveling when he'd seen this empty tomb was there an awkward tension was there a... all right we've got some stuff to sort out now what was said Did they exchange another look? Did they hug each other? I bet they hugged each other. We don't have any of the answers. We're not told. Those two verses are literally all we have about this resurrection appearance. And I find that weird. Because when you've got Mary Magdalene in the garden, we're told a lot about it. And when we've got Jesus appearing to the 12 and appearing to Thomas and all different things, we're given the details. We're not about this one. I was pondering, why? Why aren't we told about this? And you know what I realised? Because it's not for us. This wasn't a meeting for me or for you or for us. This was a meeting for Peter. You know, if I was Jesus, right? And if I would risen from the dead, I'd be thinking, number one priority. I've got to broadcast this to the world. I've got to appear to 500 people at one time. I've got to get the word out that death is beaten, sin is forgiven, the new creation has started. That'd be like top of the agenda. Now, Jesus did get to that. That was an important thing, and he did it. But first, before any of that, there's something he needed to sort out. He needed to go to his friend, who'd let him down, but who still had this spark of hope and take time to put things right with Peter, to appear to him and to say, Peter, you know that thing that you did? It's not the end. You know that thing that you did? It's not game over. And that look isn't the last look because here I am. I'm risen from the dead. Peter, I'm back. And so are you. It says something beautiful, doesn't it, about the heart of Christ, that he took the time to meet with Peter. And what he says is this, wherever you're at this morning, he's not too busy with other stuff, ruling the universe stuff, to engage with you. He wants in where you are this morning. Isn't that beautiful? We've got one more scene of Jesus meeting Peter that I want to tell you about he recreates the first miracle Peter ever saw him do a miraculous haul of fish then there's this weird bit right so it sounds like Peter was fishing in his pants put his coat on dived into the sea and went and swam to Jesus I don't get that right someone do a bible study in that and explain why he did that but then he gets to the beach and Jesus has made this scene with a fire he's lit a fire he's got some fish and he started grilling them on the fire now this is a time of sweet fellowship It's a time of friendship. But hey, we're meant to notice that Jesus has done it on purpose. He's recreated this scene where Simon Peter denied him. People gathered around this fire and we're meant to notice the words are chosen deliberately. Tony Evans points out the Greek word for charcoal is only used two times in the New Testament. Once when Peter was warming his hands over a charcoal fire when he denied Jesus. The other time, when he cooked Peter's breakfast over the charcoal fire. God took Peter back to the place of his failure. And then they have this conversation after breakfast. And Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he asks him that question three times. And each time he's like, yes, I love you. And each time he's commissioned, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus didn't take him back to that scene of failure to linger him there, to beat him up over what he'd done. This was about closure. This was a do over. Three times you deny knowing me. So I'm giving you three opportunities now. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And we're putting it right. Sometimes Jesus takes you back to those moments. That's not about his condemnation, that's about restoration and about kindness. And he gives Peter this commission, feed my sheep. You know what I said to you, Peter? You're the rock on you, I will build my church. It's back on, the game isn't over. What you've done hasn't taken you out of the purposes that I have for you. Jesus had plans for Peter and nothing, not even the worst thing that Peter had ever done in his entire life could derail the plans that Jesus had for him. And if it took Jesus coming back from the dead to get it back on track, so be it. Jesus has got plans for you and the worst thing you've ever done in your life cannot derail them. His power is at work in your life. This moment set up the rest of Peter's life few weeks later, the day of Pentecost, Jesus ascends to heaven, pours out the Holy Spirit on the church. Everything's going bananas. Someone needs to stand up and explain to the crowd what's going on. Guess who volunteers? Peter, the guy who loves to put himself forward. He's back in the game. He's restored. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches about the forgiveness of sins through the resurrection of Christ. What happened? Thousands of people are saved that day he was one of the leaders in the early church, he wrote parts of the New Testament and then decades later he ends up in Rome in the persecution of Christians and he's crucified upside down. That night on the way to the Mount of Olives, Peter who said to Jesus, Lord I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Maybe that night he wasn't ready. But because Jesus rose again, Jesus did a work in him. And he ended up living out exactly what he'd said. Going to prison and dying for Jesus. So where was Peter when he first realised Jesus rose from the dead? The truth is we don't know. But we do know it changed everything. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything for Peter. And it's changed everything for me too. And let me tell you this, the resurrection of Jesus can change everything in your life. So where were you when you first realised Jesus is alive? And that's amazing. For me, it was a weekend away with a bunch of students in 2002. Maybe for some of you, it's at the Oasis Centre Building in Gorton on Easter Sunday, 2022. And if that's you, I would love to pray with you this morning. Behave. Hey, the musicians jump forward. I want to end with some words that Peter himself said years after what we've been talking about as he's reflecting on the resurrection. This is what he wrote in 1 Peter Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen.